Well, this evening, before we spend some time interceding, we want to go to the Word of God. So please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. How do we know how we ought to pray? Well, we pray according to the will of God. And so we, during our time of corporate prayer together, we want to go to the Word first. We want to know what His moral will is as revealed in Scripture. And then we want to intercede for ourselves and for others and for our church in light of these things. And so I have been preaching during our prayer time on the first Lord's Day of each month through verses here in Romans chapter 12. And I began in verse 1, a living sacrifice that we are to be and present ourselves before God. Uh, we've talked about how we are to rightly think of ourselves, not to think too highly of ourselves than we ought to think in verse 3, but so as to have sound judgment. We've been placed in a body of believers, and so beginning in verse 4, we talked about this one body with many members, and then the working out of that in verses 6 through 8, that we are those who are to then serve. We are to use our spiritual gifts to build up this body. No one person has all the gifts. Uh, there are many parts of the body, and together we make up the whole to build it up. And then last, Lord, uh, last corporate prayer time, we were in verse 9. And so let's look at verse 9 again. It says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And so last month in our preparation for prayer, we talked about this exhortation to love, that love is the identifying dress, so to speak, the apparel of the Christian. It is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22. And verse 9 seems to be speaking generally about love, but I said last time that I believe the primary focus of verse 9 is a description of our love for God. And then in verse 10, he speaks what flows out of our love for God, which is a love for others. He says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And so our love for God is to be without hypocrisy, it says in verse 8, or excuse me, verse 9. It is to be genuine. It is to be sincere. And from this love for God springs a holy hatred. A hatred that is not sin, but is indeed holy. Love for God is a holy love that leads to then a holy hatred. A holy hatred for that which is against the character of God. And so loving God means that we abhor evil and cling to what is good. And so, last time I asked you this question, what or whom do you love? Do you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? And I asked the question, what is the current condition of your love for God? Is it the kind of love that is described here? And so do we love the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life? 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17 says, If you love those things, then the love of the Father is not in you. Is the object of your love the things of this world? Is it money? Is it riches? 
1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10 warn us of the danger of loving riches, material things. It will lead us astray from the love of God. We can't serve two masters. Jesus said, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So you can't serve God and money. There are certain kinds of loves that will push out and are exclusive to the love of God. And so we have to be careful not to let those sinful loves and desires intrude upon our love for God. And so we talked about our love for God should be primary. We talked about the intensity of our love for God. It should be with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. The comprehensiveness of our love for God. We're to be undivided in our love for God. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so when we love God in this way, it expels, you might say, other loves. Or it puts proper loves in their proper place. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's not that loving father and mother or son or daughter is wrong. It is actually holy and right to love our parents, to love our children. But if we love others more than Christ, now Jesus said we're not worthy of him. And so the supreme love that we're to have is love for God. Do you love God supremely? Do you love Jesus Christ with all your heart? And do you delight in, as a result of that, the things that are pleasing to him? Do you delight in his word and obey what it says? And so again, what is the current condition of your love? Be honest about the state of your soul before the Lord. Now this evening we want to consider the quality of that love. The quality of our love for God. The type of love or the quality of love is to be without certain things. And here in verse 9, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. And then it's to be characterized in this way, abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good. And so here it speaks of the quality of our love for God. Let love be without hypocrisy. Or if you have the ESV, it says, let love be genuine. Or one translation says, let our love must be sincere. And so our love for God is to be unhypocritical. It is to be genuine. It is to be sincere. What does the word sincere or unhypocritical mean here? Well, it's commonly believed that The English word sincere comes from two Latin words that means without wax, without wax. And you might say, what does that mean? Well, one of the popular explanations of the etymology of that word is this, that dishonest sculptors in Rome or Greece would cover flaws in their work with wax to deceive the viewer. And therefore, a sculptor without wax, would mean that it appeared to be what it really was. And the sculptor, the creator of that sculpture, was being honest with you. 
He wouldn't cover up the imperfections with wax. And so the claim that something was sincere would mean it's without wax and it would be a guarantee. This is what it appears to be. Now, whether that particular, and it's disputed, that particular etymology is true or not, we know that to be sincere means to be genuine, to be authentic, as opposed to that which is duplicitous or fake. And so without hypocrisy is a good and accurate translation of this particular Greek word. We're familiar with uh, those who act on a stage and there were times in which it wasn't quite the way it is today with makeup and costumes and all of that. So people would put a mask in front of their face as they played different parts. To be hypocritical, that, it, it, unhypocritical is to be without a mask, to be who you really are, to be genuine and sincere. And so for the believer, all disguises are to be cast aside. We must make no room for duplicity or dishonesty or deceit. And so here, our love for God is to be sincere and genuine, not dishonest. A word that uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse describes this Greek word in this way. He says, our word is a transliteration of ancient Greek of an actor on a stage. He says, from that meaning, it easily came to mean acting in real life and thus hypocrisy, assuming a false appearance of virtue or goodness, especially in respect to religious life and beliefs, and therefore pretense or shame. So someone who's pretending to be something they're not. And Donald Gray Barnhouse said this, some poisons are so powerful that one or two drops are sufficient to make fatal all the wine in a large container. Hypocrisy is such a poison, and love must be without it. John Calvin said this, It is difficult to express how ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. They deceive not only others, but also themselves while they persuade themselves that they have a true love for those whom they only treat with neglect, but also, in fact, not only treat with neglect, but also, in fact, reject. And there he's speaking of our love for others being hypocritical. But love is to be without hypocrisy. Sadly, we can be very skillful at putting on a mask in regard to our love for God. But by God's grace... We must strive for a love that is without hypocrisy, without duplicity, and we are to pursue a sincere love for God. Now, what does love without hypocrisy look like in our relationship to God? What test of our love for God will demonstrate whether or not we have this quality of love described here as love without hypocrisy? And the answer to that is in the next part of the verse. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. If someone says, I have love for God, and I love Him with all my heart, but yet they love what is evil, 
then that is a hypocritical love. It's not sincere. It's not genuine. Those are just words. And so there's a connection here in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. What will that unhypocritical love for God look like? There will be a hatred for wickedness. A sincere love for God will be seen in a hatred for what is contrary to his holy character and his holy word. And so Paul writes, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. One leads to the other. Abhorring what is evil leads to clinging to what is good. And if you cling to what is good, then you will abhor what is evil. So to love, you must hate. To love God, there must be also hatred for some other things. Now, it may sound like a contradiction until you add the objects. To love, we must hate. To love God, we must hate evil. We must hate sin. There cannot be a love for evil and wickedness and sin and at the same time have a love for God that is without hypocrisy. And we see this in other places in Scripture. Psalm 97, verse 10. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. So if you love the Lord, then there will be a hatred of evil. And here it's commanded, hate evil. How can that be? Because those who love God and those things that are in accordance with his holy character, we will be abhorring what is evil. Proverbs 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and the arrogance, pride and arrogance in the evil way, in the perverted mouth I hate. So you see, when you have a fear of God, when you love God, then there will be a hatred of sin, a hatred of evil, those things that are contrary. But when love for sin increases, you can be sure that love for God diminishes. When sin is on the rise, then love for God will wane. So you cannot be increasing in your love for God while sin and love, or or love for sin, increases. So, do you have a holy hatred? A holy hatred for sin. Our hatred of evil really comes from knowing what is evil. How do we know? Well, God has revealed it in His Word. He has told us those things that are contrary to His holiness. And the more we know His precepts, then the more we're able to identify those things that are contrary to His moral will. Psalm 119, verse 104, From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. And so first we get understanding from the Word of God. This is His moral will. Here's who God is. This is His holy character. And therefore, as we gain that understanding then we hate every false way. Psalm 119, verse 128. I esteem right, therefore I esteem right, I consider it to be so, 
all of your precepts concerning everything. Therefore, I hate every false way. Psalm 119, verse 163, I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. So here we see another connection. If we love God, then we're going to love his word, his written word, and his moral will as revealed there. And the more we love God, the more we love his word, the more we love his word and we display our love for God by obedience to his word, then the more we're going to be able to identify and the more we'll grow in our hatred for that which is evil and contrary to him. So do you see how love for God is tied to the word and our response to it? And so is your love without hypocrisy? Do you hate what is evil? Do you have an increasing awareness of and hatred for sin? We have to be careful because lawlessness is all around us. And this goes back to Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, this world that is filled with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. This world that is opposed to God that is contrary to his nature, that has fallen. We who have been made alive in Christ, we have to be careful because as Jesus said, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And so the danger is all the wickedness around us, all the evil around us, the worldliness around us is trying to squeeze us into its mold. And if we're not careful, we can have cold hearts. That's what sin does. It it freezes the heart, so to speak. And it will reduce you to nothing more than a hypocrite. Brothers and sisters, hate evil. If you're to love God with a genuine, sincere love, then you must hate evil. And so we shouldn't think that there's not hatred in the Christian life. There is hatred in the Christian life. Hatred of evil and wickedness and sin. Robert Haldane wrote this in his commentary, we, we ought not only to avoid doing what is evil, but to accustom ourselves to abhor it, as the vilest and most offensive of things are abhorred. To that which is good, we ought to cling with our whole hearts. Christians are not to be satisfied with abstaining from what is evil and practicing what is good. The affections of their minds should be in unison with their duty. They should hate as well as avoid sinful, that which is sinful, and love as well as practice that which is good. We thus learn that we are accountable to God for the state of our minds as well as our external conduct. In other words, What Haldane is saying here is we can't just be content with doing what is right. We have to love what is right. We can't just be content with not doing what is sin, but we must hate what is sin. And that gets to the root heart issues. We have to deal with the desires of the heart, the affections of the heart. We're to love those things that are are according to God and his will. We're to hate those things that are contrary to him. And so do you have this kind of hatred of evil? A holy hatred of evil. If you don't, then you can't have a love for God that is unhypocritical and sincere. The Christian should not have a neutral stance toward evil. 
We shouldn't say, for example, it doesn't matter to me how you live your life. You live your life however you want to live. That's that, that viewpoint, oh, that's up to you. You do what you want to do as long as you keep to yourself, and I'll do what I want to do. No. Those who live certain ungodly lifestyles, there should be a holy hatred of that. It's contrary to God and His will. We're not neutral to those things. In fact, I don't really believe that we can be neutral concerning evil. We either make friends with it, or we're, we're killing it, despising it, putting it to death in our own lives. So evil and wickedness and sin should incite a holy hatred of sin. This was King David's downfall. He did not hate evil when he saw Bathsheba from the rooftop as recorded in 2 Samuel 2 verse 11. The sin did not begin with when he told his servant to go fetch her. The sin began when he saw her and was not repulsed by the wickedness of his own heart. And instead of being repulsed by his own evil thoughts that should have caused him to run from temptation, David began to enjoy the thought of sin. And in the end, David sacrificed his love for God on the altar of the passing fleeting pleasures of sin. And a man after God's own heart became a man after wickedness. To use the words of Proverbs 6, verse 26, David was reduced to a loaf of bread. And the cost of his sin, and the cost of him not having in that moment a holy hatred for that which is evil, even in his own heart, was severe. Proverbs 6, verses 26 and 27 says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Do you see the consequences when when we love what is evil, the path it takes us down and the awful consequences? But this was David's downfall. A man who was marked by love for God, a man after God's own heart, in that moment, that holy hatred of sin and wickedness, a love for God that was without hypocrisy, began to dissipate in his own heart. He began to desire that which was wicked rather than hating it. On the other hand, Joseph in the book of Genesis is an example of love without hypocrisy. A love that hates what is evil and clings to what is good. And when tempted by Potiphar's wife to commit immorality, his response in Genesis 39 verse 9 was this, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? The words and the response of Joseph showed that he loved God with an unhypocritical love, a sincere love, and he had a holy hatred for evil. He abhorred what was evil. And the result was he fled from the temptation. Brothers and sisters, this is love without hypocrisy. 
This is what it means to hate what is evil. So, again, Romans 12, verse 9, love that is without hypocrisy abhors what is evil, but it also does this. It clings to what is good. Or as the English Standard Version says, hold fast to what is good. The King James says, cleave to that which is good. Grab hold of that which is good and do not let it go. And what is good? Or who is good? God himself. So hating evil, along with clinging to what is good, will result in a love for God that is without hypocrisy. Now, turn a few chapters over to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. And there, the Apostle Paul says something else that tells us about our love for God and how it's manifested in our response to evil. Romans 16, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes this, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Paul says, I want you to be wise in what is good. I want you to cling to what is good. Be wise in what is good, but I want you to be innocent in what is evil. Lest their obedience that had been known to others and the report of their obedience become a thing of the past. The language at the end of verses, uh, in these verses, is reminiscent of the temptation of, of Eve in the garden. Paul was concerned for the Corinthians in a like manner when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He's concerned that they would not be innocent in what is evil, but instead they would follow after it. And so he says, I want you to be wise in what is good. I want you to be innocent in what is evil. Another way he said it in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, I want you to, in regards to evil, be infants. But I want you to be mature in your thinking. And so these Roman Christians needed to be wise. They needed to be wise in what was good, God himself, but they needed to be innocent in what is evil. So so just to fill this out, we're to abhor what is evil and we're to be innocent in what is evil. Again, evil is that which is contrary to the character and nature of God. And in those things, he says, be innocent, be pure. This means that you hate what is evil, you turn away from it, you stay away from what is evil. Proverbs 14, verse 16 says it this way, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. Proverbs 22, verse 3, The prudent sees evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. We should depart from evil and do good. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be wise in what is good, 
Be innocent in what is evil. When God speaks of the Israelites in Jeremiah 4, verse 22, He condemns them in this way. They know me not. They are stupid children and have no understanding. Why? They are shrewd to do evil. But to do good, they do not know. So we're to be innocent in what is evil. We can fill this out in this way. Not only to hate it, but be innocent in regard to those things. To turn away from it. We're to abstain from every form of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 22. This means we have to not be entertained by that which is evil. Listen to what John MacArthur said concerning this exhortation to be innocent in what is evil. He said this, Many Christians rationalize watching degrading movies and TV programs by claiming they need to be familiar with the way of the world in order to better analyze secular culture and to better be better prepared to witness to those who are worldly. But it is not necessary to sift through garbage to recognize it for what it is. And the more we are around it, the more we pick up its stench. The more willingly we associate with evil, the more it will drag us down to its level. He says to be innocent in what is evil is not to be ignorant of it or disregard it. We cannot abhor evil unless we have some idea of what it is. But to use another popular analogy, the only reliable way to recognize a counterfeit bill is to be completely familiar with the genuine bill. The only reliable way to recognize evil is to be thoroughly familiar with the good. And the only reliable way to learn what is good is to learn God's Word. So we're to be wise in what is good. We're to know the Word of God. We're to be so familiar with what is genuinely holy and righteous according to the revealed will of God that then we recognize evil immediately. We know what it is. We don't have to delve into it. See, is it or is it not? No, we recognize it immediately. May I also say to you, parents... Guard your children? Should we bring up our children in such a way that we expose them to the wickedness around us? Some people say, no, I'm afraid that if I don't expose my young children to wickedness, then when they get older, they're going to sow wild oats, as they say. That all of a sudden, now they're going to see the wickedness of the world, and they're going to be drawn after it. Not if you're teaching them the gospel and God is gracious and saves them. Then they'll be, even at young ages, growing in a holy hatred of sin. We don't aid our children by exposing them to evil. You don't say to your children, I want you to know that this stove is hot, so give me your hand. No, you just say, stay away from it. Trust what I'm telling you. This will burn you. You don't teach them the dangers of fire by giving them fire. And so we don't teach them about evil by exposing them to it. And by the way, they're exposed to it. They live in the world. So we don't have to expose them to it. 
because of their own sinful hearts, they know it within. And as they live in the world, they have eyes and ears. They're going to see it. So don't just take your little children and say, oh, I want them to be wise in what is evil. No, they should be innocent in what is evil. So parents, don't be a source of temptation for your children. Don't be a stumbling block for them by exposing them to what is evil. So believers are to abhor what is evil. That's what an unhypocritical love for God looks like. There's a a growing hatred of sin. And again, as I always say, first and foremost in our own hearts, our own lives, so we wouldn't be hypocritical in regard to the evil around us. No, we're dealing with our own sin. And then when we see the sin around us, the wickedness around us, with integrity, we can say, this is against God's will. And I'm seeking by God's grace to put it to death in my own life. And I'm to hate it when I see it in the world around me. No, instead of being wise in what is evil, we're to be innocent in what is evil. And Ephesians 5 says, we're not to participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We're to expose that which is wickedness by living in the light. So when you turn on the the light of God's truth, so to speak, then evil will be seen for what it is. So we're to expose evil, not be enticed by it. We're to show evil for what it is and abhor it, not be drawn to it. And as we live as lights in the world, we expose it that others might see their sin and seek a Savior. And so let your love for God be without hypocrisy, sincere and genuine. What does that mean? Then you must be growing in a holy hatred of evil, abhor what is evil. And you must be growing in a holy love for that which is good, cling to what is good. You want to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil, Romans 16, verse 19. So how do we know what is holy, what is good, and what is wicked and what is sinful? We know it through the Word of God. So we need to know His Word. We need to be in His Word so that we might know and see what is good and what is evil. So what I want us to pray for this evening, the focus of our time, is this very thing. Let's pray together and intercede that we would be those who love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then how? By growing in a holy hatred of sin. A holy hatred of evil. Not being inoculated to it. Not being conformed to it. But having a holy hatred of it. And so I would call upon you men during this time of prayer specifically for this. Let me just remind you of some things as we pray together. This is not to discourage you men from praying, but this is a time for us to examine ourselves. Sometimes, uh, well often, every time, when we come to the table of the Lord, we're to examine ourselves, we're to test ourselves, we're to confess sin as we come to the table of the Lord. But also when we come to prayer, it's also a sanctifying time as well. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, Paul says, I want men in every place to pray. And then he says this, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. 
So it's not just I call upon the men and I want the men in every place to pray, but I want you to do so in this manner. Lifting up holy hands, again, just to remind you, doesn't mean, oh, this, I want you men, you have to lift up your hands when you pray. That's not what Paul is saying. It's a figure of speech for lifting up holy hands. In the Proverbs especially, but in other places, you, it uses the anatomy of the body as really walking wisely and how we're to do so. Our, our feet are not to be swift to shed blood or hands to shed blood or, or feet to swiftly go after evil. Where do your feet take you? What are you doing with your hands? That which is good or that which is evil. So the, the figure of speech here is, Men, when you pray, you need to be coming, confessing before the Lord your sin, making sure there's not unrepentant sin so that you can say, God, by your grace, my hands have been used for your service and not for wickedness. And then he says, without wrath and dissension. In other words, as those who are seeking peace with one another. You're not to be praying, hypocritical praying would be, no, I'm living in sin while I'm praying for an increased love for God. And I'm holding on to that which is evil while I hypocritically pray. Or I'm praying for others in the body while there's wrath and dissension in my relationships. Not at peace with others. No, it's a time of examination. Men, can you pray with holy hands? Do you abhor what is evil and cling to what is good? Are you at peace in relationships? Are you standing firm by living in harmony with others in the body of Christ? Are you, do you have ought to use an old phrase against your brother? Or are you at peace with others? And so what I want us to do as we begin this is to, maybe what we need to do is be confessing our sin before the Lord so that we can unhypocritically pray for these things for ourselves and one another. So men, let's pray. One of the things God has called us to do is that in certain settings, the men are to lead in this way and intercede for ourselves and for the body of Christ. So let's bow our heads together and I call upon you men to pray, lift up your voices to the Lord, but lift them up in a manner that we can all hear you as we pray together is the body of believers for these things. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. It is convicting. It is not only convicting, though, it's sanctifying. You use your word to not just lay us bare before you, but also to change us, to train us in righteousness. And so, Father, I thank you for this instruction from your word, this verse, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Father, we do know the the war within our own souls. We do know that where we are sinners still, although we are justified, We've been made right with you by the righteousness of Christ being imputed to our account and our sins laid upon him. But Lord, we are in a battle against our own sin and our own remaining corruption. So Lord, we know our frame and you know our frame. But Lord, you are at work in us to sanctify us and to make us more like Christ. 
And so, Father, we confess that we are sinners still, but Lord, we pray that we would not have presumptuous sins, that we, Lord, are purposing to follow after those things. We know that we fall and that we sin, but Lord, may we be quick to repent and turn when we do. Father, I pray that our love for you would bear fruit in that we are growing in our hatred of that which is evil. And God, I do pray that we would apply this first and foremost to our own hearts. Or may we not be hypocritical in speaking of the wickedness around us while we make friends with wickedness in our own lives. Father, I pray that we would be those who are quick to deal with the log in our own eye and our own sin before you. God, I pray there would be no unrepentant sin that we are clinging to and holding to in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would not become inoculated to the wickedness around us, growing accustomed to it, so that it's not something that we abhor. Father, I pray we would not mistake, Lord, love for those who do not know you with compromise of moral standards. Lord, I pray that we would be those who are able to live in the world and and have a, a gentle and kind spirit toward those who are even your enemies and maybe even the enemies of your church and who persecute us. But Lord, at the same time, to hate that which is evil and contrary to your nature. Lord, give us wisdom in how we might do that, grow in a holy love for you while a holy hatred for evil. And I pray, Father, that we would be careful not to call what is sin holy and what is holy sin, what is right wrong and what is wrong right. God, give us clarity to know what is evil and what is good. And Father, may we cling to what is good. Father, may we love those things that are good and be wise in those things by how we live and be skillful in our living in the fear of you. And Father, I pray that that would be the case in, in our lives and in this church. A true and genuine love for you, our God. A sincere love, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.